Hello and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr. We're happy to have you with us for our very special program honoring the recipients of the University of Iowa's International Impact and Global Student Awards. Here to get us started is Associate Provost and Dean of International Programs, Russ Gannam. Hello everyone. Thank you, Joan. And welcome and good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be. As Joan said, my name is Russ Gannam, and I'm Associate Provost and Dean of International Programs at the University of Iowa. And we are delighted that you are here to celebrate our International Impact Award winners as part of International Programs International Education Week. Before I continue, please let me extend my deepest thanks to IP's, uh, to the staff and IP's Department of Communications and Constituent Relations. Joan Kerr and her team, Seralta Peterson, Amy Green, Amy Brewster, Ben Partridge, Sue Ann Shannon, and Katie Ron have done exceptional work in putting together this week's events, and we extend our deepest gratitude to them for all their efforts. Thank you. It is a privilege for me to work with you. International Education Week has existed for several decades. The U.S. Department of State has traditionally designated the third week in November as International Education Week with the purpose of raising awareness of the importance of global experiences at the K through 16 level. At institutions of higher learning, International Education Week allows us to celebrate our international students and scholars for their innumerable contributions to our campus. These valued members of our community enrich our institutions through their knowledge, their unique cultural perspectives, and their dedication to the UI's mission to embody a university open to people of all backgrounds and experiences so that we may learn and share with one another within a global context. Today's World Canvas Forum exemplifies this principle by honoring the 2021 recipients of the University of Iowa's International Impact Award. Two distinguished alumni will receive awards this year. Dr. Martin Lopez Vega for his work in promoting the many cultures of Spain to the rest of the world, and Dr. Nina Jovanovic, a leading eye researcher in Bosnia and Herzegovina, who has excelled not only in the clinical area, but in the sphere of public health. Awards will also be conferred upon students who have advanced the mission of international education on the UI campus. This year's Global Student Award winners are Hadley Galbraith, a PhD student in French and Francophone World Studies, and Amna Haider, an undergraduate major in philosophy and international relations. In addition to distinguishing themselves academically, both Hadley and Amna boast remarkable service records that demonstrate a commitment to shared governance as well as engagement with the community. Just as we are honored by the presence of our awardees, we are also honored by the presence of President Barbara Wilson, who began her term as the 22nd president of the University of Iowa this past July. Barb visited IP in August, and we were proud to introduce her to our unit. Barb, welcome to World Canvas, and please accept our warmest thanks for conferring the International Impact and Global Student Awards on today's recipients. Thanks so much, Russ. And it's such a great honor to be part of today's presentation of the University of Iowa International Programs International Impact Awards. It's great to be here. And I'm delighted to join you during International Education Week as we recognize all the exceptional individuals who have made major contributions to promoting global understanding. As you said, we're honored this year to present an International Impact Award 
to Dr. Nina Yovanovitch. Dr. Yovanovitch is the leading eye researcher in Bosnia and Herzegovina. She currently runs the ocular surgery section, ocular plastic surgery section in the Department of Ophthalmology at the Canton Hospital in Zenica, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Upon completion of her Master of Public Health degree at the University of Iowa, Dr. Yovanovitch returned to Bosnia and Herzegovina where she became the first certified ocular plastic surgeon. She's embraced opportunities to promote public health and population prevention through her medical practice. Dr. Yovanovitch shares her experience and expertise with the University of Iowa students and faculty during nearly annual visits back to our campus. And she also welcomes University of Iowa students for global clinical experiences in Bosnia and Herzegovina. It is my great honor to present an International Impact Award to Dr. Yovanovitch, who cannot be with us today. Uh, so accepting the award for her is Professor Corey Pikesa uh, from the College of Public Health. Dr. Pikesa. Thank you, President Wilson. Um, I want to say a few words of of thanks on behalf of Nina. Um, I can say that it, it breaks her heart that she can't be here, uh, but circumstances really beyond her control as a medical practitioner in a, in a very volatile country have kept her from being here. Um, but I'll just read a, a very short quote. Um, she says, receiving this award is the highlight of my career and the greatest recognition for my work. And it is more special as it comes from a place I call home, Iowa City. Thank you all so much. And I apologize for not being able to join you. So I just can't stress enough how important awards like this are to recognize the work that people do uh, around the world um, tied to us as Hawkeyes uh, and often in conditions that are, are really unlike things we experience here ourselves. Uh, and, I, and the energy that Nina has uh, taken to make sure the connections for our students, for our faculty stay strong are, are really above and beyond. So we'll get to talk to her about her a little bit later in the, in the show. So for now, I'll just tell you that this is accepted with a truly heartfelt thank you. Thank you, Professor Piqueso. We're also honored this year to present an International Impact Award to Dr. Martin Lopez Vega. Dr. Lopez Vega is a noted poet, author, and essayist who's published works in Spanish, and Asturian have been widely praised. He received his PhD in Spanish from the University of Iowa. He has served as both general director for culture and heritage of the Principado de Asturias and executive director of the Cervantes Institute, which is Spain's government agency charged with promoting the varied languages and cultures of Spain and with encouraging cultural, intellectual, and artistic exchanges between Spain and the rest of the world. His love of cultural and linguistic diversity is reflected in his work as a literary translator and editor of authors in a variety of languages from Italian to Portuguese. It's my great honor to present an International Impact Award to Dr. Martin Lopez Vega. Accepting this award for Dr. Lopez Vega is another University of Iowa faculty member, Luis Martin Estudillo. 
Thank you. President Wilson, Dean Ganim, dear friends. My name is Luis Martinez Trudillo, and I'm a professor in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese. I was Martin Lopez Vega's doctoral advisor here at the University of Iowa. Dr. Lopez Vega deeply regrets not being able to be with us today. He's truly honored to receive this International Impact Award. Martin is really looking forward to visiting Iowa again and thanking you all in person. And even though he's an acclaimed writer who's authored many books, he says that his feeling today is best captured by that old line, once a Hawkeye, always a Hawkeye. So thank you very much on his behalf. Thank you so much. And that's so true. Once a Hawkeye, always a Hawkeye. Thank you for those remarks. We're also very pleased today to present Global Student Awards to two remarkable Hawkeyes. I am first honored to present a Global Student Award to Amna Haider. Amna is an undergraduate international relations and philosophy major at the University of Iowa, and she hails from Omaha, Nebraska. She serves or has served as an honors writing fellow, a member of the university lecture committee, a senator for the undergraduate student government, a member of the Middle Eastern North African Students Association, the undergraduate representative on the UI Center for Human Rights Advisory Board, the vice president of the Walk It Out Multicultural Fashion Show, and the founder and president of the new peace activism student organization called Peace by Peace. We're not sure when she sleeps. She also interns with the Iowa City Foreign Relations Council, where she helps bring weekly speakers to the Iowa City community to speak about global issues. Amna plans to pursue a graduate program that explores the relationship between international law, political theory, and ethics so she can learn how to make international human rights and rule of law driving forces in effective foreign policy decisions. It is my great honor to present a Global Student Award to Amna Haider. Amna, would you like to say a few words with us, please? Share a few words. Thank you so much to international programs for granting me the honor of receiving the Global Student Award. I would not have been here without my inspiring mentors at Iowa, um, I'd like to give a special thanks to Professor Lai and the Department of Political Science for nominating me with this award. Um, I'm super proud to be representing that department today. I'd also like to thank the Iowa City Foreign Relations Council, the Center for Human Rights, and the University Lecture Committee for being the key agents in shaping my international education within my four years at Iowa. So, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Alna. We're also honored to present a Global Student Award to Hadley Galbraith. Hadley is from Topeka, Kansas, and she's a PhD student in French and Francophone World Studies. Her research is focused on studying representations of the memory of slavery and colonialism in Caribbean and Indian Ocean literature, film, and performance through the lens of trauma, the body, and dance. She has been an active member of the World Languages Graduate Organization, including as president and conference co-chair, the latter for an annual interdisciplinary academic conference featuring graduate student work. She's also served on the International Committee of the Graduate Student Senate, and she spent an academic year teaching English at the Université de Poitou. 
through an exchange program with the UI Department of French and Italian. Hadley's career goal is to become a professor of Francophone studies, to continue her research and to continue engaging with students about Francophone world. It is great. It is my great honor to present a Global Student Award to Hadley Galbraith. Hadley, would you like to share a few words with us too, please? Yes, it would be my pleasure. Thank you so much um, for this honor. Um, I'd really like to thank, um, especially my advisor, Annie Dominique Curtius, um, in my program, and um, the other faculty in my program, and um, my department and my division, uh, many of whom are here today. It's great to see some friendly faces. Um, and to the university for the many opportunities that I've been given here. It's really meant a lot to me to be able to make um, global connections through my studies. And um, I really value the perspectives that have become a part of my, my story and my approach as a scholar and educator. So thank you so much. Thanks much, Hadley. Congratulations once again to all our International Impact Award and Global Student Award winners. We're so proud of you and we're grateful for your tremendous contributions to international relations and to global understanding. Thank you. And thank you, President Wilson and uh, Dean Gannam for joining us. And uh, stay with us for uh, further conversations with this year's winners. In a moment, we'll have a conversation with one of our International Impact Award winners, uh, Martin Lopez Vega. We recorded that interview last week because he couldn't be here with us today. But uh, stay with us for that. And then uh, a little bit later in the program, we'll meet all of the other winners as well. We'll be back in just a moment. It's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Martin Lopez Vega, a recipient of the University of Iowa's 2021 International Impact Award. Dr. Lopez Vega received his PhD in Spanish at the University of Iowa in 2017 and is now the director of Spain's highly regarded Cervantes Institute. But long before doing his graduate work and leading the institute, Dr. Lopez Vega was a published poet, a fiction writer, essayist, translator, and advocate for the legal recognition of the Asturian language. Joining Dr. Lopez Vega is his friend and nominator, Dr. Luis Martinez Trudillo, a faculty member in the University of Iowa Department of Spanish. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And congratulations, Martin. I suppose this award came as something of a surprise. Yes, it was a great surprise. It's always, uh, you know, once a Hawkeye, always a Hawkeye. So <laughs> it's, uh, great having news again from the university, and I'm, I'm so glad. So yeah. Yeah, well, we'll have a chance to talk to Martin in a little while, or, excuse me, to Luis in a little while and ask him, you know, what inspired him to nominate you for this award. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself. We'd kind of like to get to know you, where you grew up, what your young life was like, and when you decided that, yeah, I'm a writer. Oh, that's uh, how how many how much time do I have? As long as you like. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a very small village in the north of Spain, in Asturias, which is about two hundred inhabitants, so really, really, really small. And uh, so I had uh, an education which was kind of uh, I always joke and I say that it was uh, something like an African education because we were educated by the whole village. You know, uh, everybody knew where we were. Uh, we were never at home, so this this kind of uh, rural uh, first part of my life. 
then when I grew up, I studied at Oviedo. I studied philology, Spanish philology, literature, and then I started working in Madrid. I spent a year in Portugal, a few months in Rome before going to Iowa City. So that's my traveling experience more than my, my other experience. But that's, uh, maybe that can tell something about me, I don't know. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Asturian language and your your um, interest in promoting it and protecting the language and the culture. Tell us something about Asturias in the north of Spain, huh? Uh, well, it's such a small region in the north of Spain. Uh, some, we have something like a million inhabitants right now, so it's a very small one in relation to other communities in Spain. And the fact is that we, we speak two languages, one which is our common language in Spain, which is Spanish, and then we have another language, Asturian, which is spoken by almost half of the population of Asturias. Both uh, come from Latin, so our Latin languages is uh, really easy to understand. If you ever happen to go there, you'll be welcome in Asturian <laughs> as well as in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I was doing just the slightest little bit of reading about Asturias and the, the history, obviously a very long and complicated history, and even going back to this period of the Spanish Civil War and the, um, the fight against what became the Franco regime and so on. It's a very, a, a very um, interesting history that I know almost nothing about. I think many Americans know a little bit more about Basque resistance, a little bit more about Catalonia, but um, but perhaps not so much about Asturias. Yeah, maybe because of uh, of its size, I guess. But uh, it's true that uh, it's a mining region. It was a mining region at that time. And where there's miners, there's always revolution, at least in Spain. So <laughs> we started uh, uh, small revolutions for a couple of times, and there was a strong resistance against uh, Frankism there, mm -hmm. uh, especially coming from, from those valleys where the, the mines are. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. So when uh, Luis nominated you for this award, he spoke about your, your various um, accomplishments in the, the many books you've written, the poetry, the fiction, essays, and so on. Um, you're a very young man. Uh, you have established quite a, quite a body of work in a fairly short period of time. I started really young and I was really lucky from the very beginning. Uh, I started like almost everyone in Spain winning a prize for young poets. And uh, I don't know if I work a lot, but I write a lot. So it was, and, and I have um, um, a lot of inter of different interests. So I, I wrote a lot of uh, books of poems from the very beginning. I think that the, the most important, uh, how can I say? The most important thing to blame me is that I started very young and I never stopped. So that's why I, I always like around, I don't know, 20 or 25 or so books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite genre in which you write? Is poetry, poetry your poetry. most core? Uh -huh. I would say that when a poet uh, writes uh, prose or, or writes a novel or something like that, is that because it's, uh, he or she didn't have time to write a poem. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about this um, fight to protect and to um, uh, sort of safeguard the Asturian language and, uh, you know, why it's important to protect a language spoken in a fairly small region of an otherwise uh, large country. Why does that matter? Mm -hmm. 
It's part of our heritage and it's the way we express uh, the memory of our ancestors. So that's why it's important. Uh, every language reveals uh, one way of looking at the world, one way of uh, looking at our memory. And that that's what, why it's important for us. And the, the case of Spain is really important in relation to other countries in Europe because the level of protection that our regional languages have here has no possible comparison to other countries. Look at what happens in France, for instance. They even have a Nobel Prize who wrote in uh, in the language of the Trovadors, by the way. Uh, and uh, But it has no official recognition. Uh, there's a lot of languages in Italy, but only very recently uh, one in which Pasolini wrote part of his work is official. And uh, so it's, um, I'm proud of my country in terms of what we do with, the, with our regional languages. Mm -hmm. Because Asturian is uh, a small, uh, slightly different because it was not declared official when, the, the, when democracy came to Spain. Because we were still under the effects of uh, Frankism in terms of uh, this idea that they tried to put in everybody's mind that speaking any other thing that Spanish was speaking badly. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so we had a little work to do in terms of convincing people that it was okay to speak Asturian, it was not uh, Spanish bad spoken. Mm -hmm. And and how uh, is Asturian still spoken quite readily in Asturias? Yes, yes there, was, there, there is even a newspaper written in Asturian and it's, com, it's a language of common use in the TV right now. In, in, there is a couple of channels which are exclusive to Asturias and uh, Asturian is, so, is spoken really, I mean, in one of two programs you can you can hear a student mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well louise let me bring you into this if i uh, may so for those who don't know you teach in the spanish department here at the university of iowa and um you nominated uh dr lopez vega for this award and i believe you also worked with him when he was going through his phd and and uh um you know assisted with that whole process but you're also personal friends so tell me something about martin lopez vega the truth is that I did not know Martin personally before he, he came to Iowa. I had read his work for a long time before I know him personally, and I had always greatly admired his literary work and also his position as a cultural manager, so to speak, of, in different institutions. I think that the work he has done intellectually is extremely valuable artistically as well, but also, if I may use the word politically, because the context of a multilingual state such as Spain is a difficult one to manage. And I think that Martin has done a great job at uh, getting more respect and better understanding of the great richness that that multilingual context represents for Spain. And as he himself was saying, I think that Spain is a great example uh, in terms of the uh, way we can treat languages that are not uh, known by a majority, but need and deserve our respect, and hopefully to be known by larger numbers of people. And Martin has been instrumental in, in, in the case of Asturian, but now also in his role in the Instituto Cervantes, which is officially an institution that 
kind of divulgate and protect uh, Spanish language around the world, but they have also done a great job at recognizing the importance of the other languages of Spain mm. within uh, within the international arena as well. Mm. Well, I'm glad you, you brought up the Cervantes Institute again because I did want to ask what the, the goals really of the Institute are speaking in, in um, you know, 30,000 foot level. What, what would be the goals of the Spanish government in, um, in supporting the Cervantes Institute? Well, uh, we have two main goals. One is to teach Spanish in non-speaking countries. And the other one is uh, to promote uh, Spanish culture or better said, culture in Spanish from all the, the speaking Spanish speaking countries. Also, we promote teaching of uh, the other languages in Spain, Catalan, Basque, and Galician, which are the co-official uh, languages right now. Mm -hmm. And um, we, uh, we are opening a new center in Los Angeles by next year, because right now we are establishing the US in New York, in Chicago. Uh, we have an Observatory of the Spanish Language in the U.S. at the University of Harvard, and uh, in uh, we are also in Albuquerque. So, and this year we are opening in Los Angeles. So, these are the things that we do to teach Spanish and to promote culture in Spanish abroad. Mm -hmm. And so the the um, in these various centers, um, there are, it's an there's an opportunity to take Spanish courses or to to as as a citizen of whatever country you're able to just go into these centers and you know, peruse the literature. What yes. happens there? Both things. There are courses of Spanish, but also courses on uh, Spanish culture or speaking Spanish uh, countries culture. And there are also exhibitions, art, photography, or whatever. And there are also lectures and readings. And uh, there's an ongoing uh, number of activities all the time. Mm -hmm. So they, they work with cultural centers also. Uh huh. Uh huh. And so you travel a lot in this position. Yes, I do have some. Mm hmm. But I take it that's that's well, maybe it's not so fun in a period of COVID. I imagine it's a little more complicated now. It's more complicated, but um, I'm in a position in which uh, I didn't suffer from things that some of my friends suffer, like uh, being stuck at home uh, uh. <laughs> to travel. So it was kind of different. I, I have a different uh, COVID period of time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's good. So, uh, Luis, when uh, Martin was teaching here while he was getting his PhD, uh, you mentioned, I believe, that he, he taught some classes in Portuguese, which was a big help to the department. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Martin is very modest, so he's not going to recognize this. But probably English is his fifth or sixth language in terms of his... <laughs> he's a polyglot, and we were very lucky that he had a professional knowledge and academic knowledge of Portuguese. He had, as he mentioned before, he had studied in, in Portugal. He had studied romance, literatures, and, and cultures. So at a moment in which we were at a critical juncture in terms of getting one person, one additional person who could teach Portuguese for us here at the department, luckily he was doing his doctorate uh, in the department and we could use his wonderful services. He is not only a great a uh, writer of creative um, writing, poetry and essay, also a translator, <laughs> also a, a very good scholar of romance, uh, romance literature. Actually, his dissertation is a very important piece of scholarship about the 
environment, an environmentalist reading of uh, Spanish culture. Maybe he can talk a little bit yeah. more about the, the project that he pursued here as his doctoral dissertation. Mm -hmm. Yes, please do. Okay, I remember uh, a context in which you had to explain your dissertation like in a in an elevator chat, so I will try to do so. <laughs> <laughs> My dissertation is about uh, how the uh, the improvement of the position of literatures in other language in languages other than Spanish in the Iberian Peninsula changed the way in which we see space in literature. Uh, so I studied works in Portuguese, Galician, Spanish, uh, Catalan, and Basque. Uh, studying, for example, what it meant, what happened with uh, the construction of dams during the Franquism in Spain, in Spain and uh, the consequences that it had and how they were reflected in literature, but also in the arts, hmm. or uh, the ways in um, environmental issues appear in, in, in Iberian literature right now. Mm -hmm. Everything has to do with uh, with environmental issues, as well as with the different languages in, in the Iberian Peninsula, Portuguese included. Mm -hmm. Well, why did you decide to get your PhD here at the University of Iowa? There were other options, I suspect. There were other options, but uh, I knew a few of the professors that were teaching there, Luis among them. I knew a wonderful book that uh, he had about uh, the, the presence or the influence of Baroque poetry in contemporary poetry. And there were other, other professors that were very interesting. And also I knew that uh, Iowa City was a city for literature. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of interested in not in being involved, but on being near what was happening there, being able to go to readings and so on. And I remember that I had the opportunity to attend uh, uh, a series of uh, lectures by uh, Robert Haas, for okay. example, that were really, really interesting. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and right now we have the, as you know, the International Writing Program writers mm -hmm. come in the fall and they're all here now, so lots of opportunities to see and hear writers from all over the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, as you move forward, you know, from this point, you, you obviously have many, many years of writing and working uh, to spread the culture of Spain, but, but what are your sort of immediate personal interests? Uh, coming back to Iowa, uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm working on a, personally, I'm working on a new book of poems and I just finished translating uh, an anthology of Pier Paolo Pasolini, the Italian poet, uh, whose uh, anniversary is going to take place next year. So I prepared like, a, I don't know, 600 uh, pages anthology and I'm, I'm proud of, of the result, I have to say. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hmm. And do you enjoy teaching? Is that something that you might take up as a, you know, a more permanent um, future? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's possible, but I have to say that of all the jobs that I had, that's the one that I prefer. Hmm. No know, doubt because of this. Strange ways. So I don't know what will happen in the future. Yeah. But I, that's something that I like very much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Luis, what did uh, Martin um, bring to your faculty group? You know, what kind of uh, additional insights or just pleasures do you recall from uh, his interaction with faculty in your department? The incredible thing is that Martin came here as a student. I told him from the very beginning. I suspect that as your dissertation advisor, I am going to learn 
a lot more from you than you're going to learn from me. <laughs> but yeah, it was, Martin is obviously an exceptional person in so many, at so many levels. And it was just a, a pleasure to have someone so creative and with such broad interests. And as I've said before, a translator, a poet, a cultural manager, and so on and so forth. So I think that his uh, status now as a Hawkeye is going to be <laughs> beneficial for the university for many years to come. I think it's um, only a matter of pride that he spent here a few years and that hopefully he made some new connections and some readings. And I think that it's essential that American culture open up, opens up to the, to the world, mm -hmm. even reaching to those small corners such as Asturias, that for many of our neighbors don't mean much, but mm -hmm. thanks to people like Martin, they they occupy a, a place in our maps. Mm -hmm. maps. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, before we wrap up, I, I have sort of a softball question, but I'd like to get your response to it if you don't mind. As we all know, this is a time when we have greater opportunities to be exposed to different people and ideas than we ever did before. It's also a time where we can crawl into a little hole of self-selected folks and live in that subgroup without ever really touching anyone outside of it. Does exploring a different language and the culture that surrounds that language help us break free of assumptions and um, uh, expectations we've made for ourselves and really just sort of open our eyes to the world? course and even when we look at our own culture having this experience on of uh, being on our own looking at, an, at, at a different culture show us the way in which we can look for information which is not official or which is not in the media uh, in the on the front page of the media no so yeah I think it's uh, like a, a must mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would add that Martin's work is a good example of how being abroad and looking at your own experience, your own people, your own region from the lens or through the lens of a new culture, as was Martin's case when he came to Iowa, mm -hmm. must have probably opened up his eyes to things in his own culture that he didn't see before, not only to a, a new foreign culture. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I can say that doing my PhD in Iowa was like uh, refurnishing my head. So. <laughs> well, we hope to see you back here again soon. And I'm afraid our time has run out just now, but I want to congratulate you, Martin Lopez Vega, on this very uh, high honor from the University of Iowa. Well deserved uh, praise. And thank you so much, uh, Luis Martinez Studio, for joining us for this conversation. And My pleasure and congratulations to Martin. Yes, 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 absolutely. Thank you and bye bye. Well, welcome back to World Canvas. I'm Joan Kerr. It's now my pleasure to turn our attention to 2021 International Impact Award recipient Dr. Nina Yovanovitch, UI Professor and Associate Dean for Research in the College of Public Health, Corinne Piquesa, has accepted the award on behalf of Dr. Yovanovitch as she was unable to be with us today. So I want to say hello and welcome, uh, Corey. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I, I want to say it's my absolute pleasure to be here to get to, to speak about Nina um, and also just say once again how devastated and heartbroken she is that she can't be here to accept the award uh, for herself. It means the world to her. And uh, if there was any way possible she could be here, she absolutely would be. 
Oh, I know that's true. It's a complicated time, and and um, sometimes things in intervene uh, when we would prefer that they would not. So thank you for taking the time. And I'd really like to get to know Nina a little bit. You um, created the uh, nomination papers for her, and I know you know her very well. So please give us a little background on Nina, where she grew up, and um, you know what her early influences may have been. Sure. Uh, I met Nina uh, in, uh, through an international trauma training grant that I direct. Um, and I was in Bosnia, uh, in Sarajevo, and um, we had a symposium with our training program. And a number of students who were interested came because they were interested in learning a little bit more about injury and trauma, which is the focus of the training award. Um, and at that time, Nina was the president of the Bosnian Medical Student Association. And sometimes you meet someone who just has a spark. Uh, who, who just has such a passion about them and the positive energy about them that you just notice them right away. And Nina was one of those people. Uh, she stands out as someone who is um, just so passionate about health and her country and partnerships and learning. Um, so uh, she and three other medical students were accepted as trainees for our training program. So following that, she spent a semester here in Iowa uh, training mostly in building capacity around doing some injury and violence research. And I got to know her a little bit better and a little bit of her history. Uh, and so she she was very impacted by experiences that she had growing up. Uh, she lives in Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, which is a very beautiful, culturally rich, uh, very diverse uh, country. It is also very politically unstable throughout a very long period of history and remains so today. Uh, and in fact, she was in elementary school during the war that broke up former Yugoslavia. Uh, and she had experiences, of, you know, of like she was instructed when she was walking to school and she heard mortar shelling where she should hide. And there were little um, nooks and crannies to hide and also little stores where they knew they could run in and be safe until the shelling stopped so they could walk back to school. Um, she also, you know, experienced a, a lot of um, death uh, in the war, people that, that she knew and that were in her family. So very impacted by that kind of trauma. Uh, she's also very uh, appreciative of being able to get a good education. Uh, and she feels that it's her responsibility to make the most of that and improve the health of people throughout the world. And so, um, you know, she's someone who kind of looks at the world through a trauma-informed lens. She understands how trauma can impact um, someone's physical health, psychological health, social health, uh, and wants to really be a bridge to improving that. Mm. Um, her interest in ophthalmology also is really recognizing how important our eyes are to the world. It's kind of a theme of how she's involved as a, as a medical doctor, as a public health professional, but also maybe I'll talk a little bit how she's very active in the arts community because of how she sees our interaction with art as a visual, but also, um, you know, visual, tactile, hearing, you know, all of our senses are impacted by the arts. And so she's um, also very active in the arts community. Wow. Um, can you tell us what some of the challenges are that, that are being faced by people in her country regarding eye care uh, and where improvements may be happening thanks to some of the work that Nina is involved in? Sure. And, you know, the, um, yeah, the, I'll go through a couple layers because there are a lot of layers of challenge. Uh, some that are, you know, un unusual in the experience of people who live in a more high resource country like, like the United States. And so the, the low resource challenge affects many levels of, of life in Bosnia. 
so maybe one of the first things I'll mention is just that Bosnia has a very complicated political structure. Uh, in the in the breakup of former Yugoslavia, the Dayton Accord established two parallel governments. One is the Republic and one is the Federation, and they kind of exist in completely independent um, but parallel processes. And you can imagine um, that's not an easy alliance. In fact, most of the time it's not an alliance. Um, so trying, you know, at that level of having political things that you kind of always have in the back of your mind is is stressful. Uh, and, and she's sort of worked right through that. Um, so in addition to that, uh, just the financing of healthcare is complicated because there's just not enough federal funding to support the care that everyone needs. So there's also a complicated intermix of private practice and public practice. And it, it's really difficult for physicians to ignore one or 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 either, you know, one of those. Uh, and so just the business of practicing medicine is complicated. But in the area of eye injury and eye trauma in particular, um, one of the challenges is that within the country, there aren't enough medical providers to begin with. Uh, and there's often not a lot of specialization. So Nina recognized that there were just not specialists to do a lot of the really severe injury treatment or some of the uh, reparation work that happens after you have been injured and have um, some eye damage. So she on her own uh, sought out opportunities to learn some of those skills. And one of the most notable accomplishments that she has is training at several institutions, uh, including some clinical um, shadowing here at the University of Iowa and our amazing uh, Department of Ophthalmology, but also at Michigan, at Yale, at Israel, and London. Um, she has become certified as the first, the country's first uh, oculoplastic surgeon. And not only is she practicing that, she's training up and coming medical students to also practice that. But I think she found her alliance with public health in recognizing how damaging eye trauma is and how important it is to prevent eye trauma. Um, and so she has launched a number of studies to help the public health approach of moving towards a more prevention safety oriented kind of culture. That first included building a lot of data infrastructure. So she established the country's first eye injury registry and uh, was able to set up a database, uh, later integrate that into the electronic medical record system, which was introduced not that long ago in her hospital. Uh, so it was the first time that hospital level detailed data about um, why people were coming in with eye damage, what treatment they got when they were in the hospital, but then also following up to see what was their visual acuity and how did that impact their life after that. And so her registry included both adults and children. And one, for example, landmark study that she did was looking at how ocular trauma impacts student performance and um, employment following the trauma and found that there were, are a lot of layers of complexity after you've had eye trauma. One is that you have some social isolation as a student, you have some academic isolation, you have sometimes physical issues of if you haven't recovered all of your eyesight, how do you adapt to, to limited vision? Uh, and so was really able to show how complex the recovery is from an eye injury and or an eye disease as well. Um, but then she even has gone beyond that and looked at issues like uh, eye protection in the workplace. And there's another place where um, 
it's been an interest, you know, you have to kind of work within the occupational culture of your country. And she found that, you know, there are a lot of jobs in labor, construction, um, ma manufacturing that have a lot of risk for eye injuries, things flying out or you're using machinery. Uh, so a lot of penetrating damage to eyes, a lot of light damage if you're working with welding and things like that without eye protection. Mm -hmm. And she found that um, there really was not a lot of eye protection use and a lot of most employers didn't have eye protection available. And it wasn't because employers didn't care. It was really just there wasn't a culture around safety. Mm -hmm. uh, so she's been working on uh, working with employment employers and um, stakeholders to introduce uh, safety practices in, in occupation. Wow. Well, you know, public health, global public health, um, such an interesting and complicated area in the best of times. Certainly, we're in times now where where uh, a lot of people are, are trying to figure out just exactly what uh, public health means, um, what does it mean to individual citizens, what does it mean as a government initiative, and so on. So I can imagine just seeing what's happened in our own country that uh, it can be difficult in other places in the world as well. Uh, would you say that, that uh, Nina's exposure to uh, American culture and life here in our community and uh, the kind of uh, public health issues that are faced by Iowans, has that um, sort of enriched her, her own understanding of, of her country? Yes, absolutely. And I, I do want to mention, you know, Nina considers Iowa City a home, a home for her heart. Uh, she has loved her time here. She stayed very connected. She's hosted our students in her clinic. Um, uh. She is here very frequently. Um, she is, as I said earlier, very involved in the arts. And so she and a photographer colleague of hers have done some photo voice project around the area of cyberbullying, which isn't related to ophthalmology, but it yeah. is actually really related to how we see the world. And, you know, eyesight is a big metaphor for, for Nina. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, they worked with uh, some students at, in our high schools and uh, created some photographs that helped depict kind of a very artsy take on um, experiencing cyberbullying. And they've also done a workshop in, in Iowa, at the University of Iowa, again, using photography as a tool to talk about trauma, to visualize and express trauma. Um, so, so those have been really rewarding experiences and, and they've helped her connect with Iowa and Iowans on many different levels. So with our students, with, with our high school students, with our arts community, um, she's just out and about in the world of Iowa, mm -hmm. uh, getting to know as much as she can about our communities and our people. Um, mm -hmm. And then of course, in the science world and the clinical world where her official work resides. Um, so she absolutely is, is connected to Iowa and has been profoundly impacted by feeling immediately a very part of our community. And I would say that is something that's shared, you know, in Iowa, we feel very close to our communities, but Bosnia is also a country where people are very close to their communities and, you know, spend a lot of time in people's homes and the, the connections people make is, you know, very, very strong and important to people. So, so I think that it's been, I mean, it's just, it's one of the magic things about global experiences is, you know, you feel like, oh, that's a different country, we're so different, but seeing all the levels on which we're the same and we're different, um, or the same, but just a, a little, a little different uh, mm -hmm. is just such an enriching way to not only see yourself, uh, you know, but to, you know, have richer connections with other mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Well, we're so sorry that uh, Nina couldn't be with us today to have this conversation with you. But uh, my goodness, we've learned so much about her uh, through your words. And thank you, uh, Corey. And also, um, you know, the next time she 
comes to town i hope you will let us know that many of us will have a chance to meet her and get to know her on the next visit back to iowa so um from us to nina uh, congratulations and thank you very much corey thank you john it was my mm -hmm. pleasure and this award is is a very important gift to our uh, international alumni Ah, well, thank you so much. Um, in our next segment, we'll talk with the winners of the 2021 Global Student Awards. Stay with us and we'll be back in a moment. Hello and welcome back to World Canvas. I'm Joan Kerr. In the final part of today's program, we have the great pleasure of talking with the two University of Iowa students who've been chosen from an exceptional group of nominees to receive the 2021 Global Student Awards. They are Amna Haider, an undergraduate student in international relations and philosophy from Omaha, Nebraska, and Hadley Galbraith, a PhD student in French and Francophone World Studies from Topeka, Kansas. Congratulations to both of you on your Global Student Awards. I'd also like to introduce the two UI faculty members who nominated our winners, Brian Lai, Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Political Science, nominated Amna Haider, and Ani Curtius, Associate Professor and Director of Graduate Studies in the Department of French and Italian, nominated Hadley Galbraith. Uh, Amna and Hadley, uh, we'd like to learn a little more about you and your goals, particularly those that have an international aspect. And I'll start with you, Amna. Um, as I mentioned, you've been awarded the Undergraduate Global Student Award. And many, many congratulations for that. And you're majoring in international relations and philosophy. I think terrifically interesting areas. What drew you to this combination of, of coursework? And do you find that these two fields are complementary in your studies? Oh, yeah. Um, first of all, thank you. Um, yes, for sure. I Since uh, the end of high school, I realized that these two areas were where I wanted to particularly focus in. Um, now, I've always known that I've had um, a knack for international relations, but my love for philosophy grew in high school when I took a theory of knowledge class for my international baccalaureate diploma program. Um, so this program um, also shaped my global, my sense of global-mindedness. Um, and within that class specifically, we learned about theories of knowledge relating to you know, what we know, how we know it, epistemology. And because of that class, I started to think about, you know, how do we know what we know about war, about culture? Um, I've, I've always had a fascination for culture as well. Uh, and so my philosophy classes also give me that um, sense of awareness or sense of, um, sense of how I could learn about cultures and how that meshes in with my international relations and politics platform. I would love to take an international studies um, major as well, but obviously, you know, with the little time I have, I thought philosophy would give me the basis to learn about culture um, and how we get to know or how we shape theories of politics that we see today um, in real life, how we could think about them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and as I understand it, you have been incredibly active on campus and also in the broader community, really from the moment you arrived as a freshman here at the university. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about some of the groups and the initiatives you've been involved with. Yeah, uh, sure. So since my freshman year, I've been involved in quite a few initiatives on campus, uh, starting uh, in student government. We uh, worked on multicultural initiatives, uh, uh, 
But outside of that, I started growing into, I started learning more about peace advocacy, um, how we could um, bring the world to Iowa City. So for example, uh, when I started, when I found Peace by Peace, I had the intention of um, showing the uh, students how to process international issues um, that were overwhelmed us at the time. I think I, uh, two summers ago, uh, when, for example, uh, racial tensions were nationwide, as well as international issues of, of around the world, such as in, uh, in Palestine and Israel and uh, in Afghanistan and many other places in Iraq, uh, the infographics on Instagram would be flooding um, our social media. So I thought I would try to have, you know, discussions or small group discussions with folks that were interested in learning what to do about the situations in a very careful manner and a very patient and safe environments uh, so it's not as overwhelming. Uh, I also advocated or um, tried to bring awareness in, of uh, the situation in Yemen uh, with piece by piece uh, by working along with alongside students at Yale, uh, University College London, and other folks, uh, students in the country and in the world uh, to advocate to um, de uh, push back or refrain from uh, inv uh, intervening in the war on Yemen and uh, participating in that famine. Uh, so uh, those are some of the initiatives. Other initiatives include uh, Walk It Out. Uh, it's a multicultural fashion show. The Mixer is actually going to be on Thursday, this Thursday, where we have a sneak peek of the big show, which will be in April. Uh, and this is basically a night when uh, students of seven different cultural groups come together and celebrate uh, arts, fashion, music, dance within each of those cultures. We highlight cultures of students belonging to the LGBTQ community, uh, communities uh, that belong to African cultures, Middle East, East Asia, Latin America, hip hop. Um, and that also gives me a, a, a taste of how I could share my love for cultures uh, on campus. Yeah, how exciting. Well, you haven't wasted a minute, have you, in your undergraduate mm -hmm. years and getting involved in things and, and meeting other people. Um, as I understand it, you have Iraqi heritage. Has has yeah. this part of your, your own personal background uh, inspired you, do you think, to follow some of these international interests and issues? Yes, yes, for sure. Um, since I was younger, again, when I was in high school, elementary school, middle school, I thought that I had sort of, I guess, um, an advantage or a privilege to be more in tune with my uh, with the world and within international politics and international human rights, because my parents, uh, they having Iraqi heritage and come to the United States, they brought with them the stories of living in Iraq, especially during um, you know the Saddam regime. My mom lived through the first Gulf War, and so hearing her stories and living. Uh, living in a household that um, speaks two different languages, uh, English and Arabic, and within another culture, an Iraqi-American culture, uh, I was able to have a, a new, stronger appreciation for learning about other cultures, uh, whether they be other Middle Eastern cultures and other um, cultures across the world. I've also been able to travel to Iraq, uh, which is thousands of miles away on the other side of the world, and also um, just even my time at airports, for example, or in um, 
places with other people who, you know, share my religion so far as the Muslims, you know, there are uh, South Asian Muslims, uh, East Asian Muslims, many other uh, people that have some that share similar identities with me, but across the world. So having that um, as part of my personality definitely strengthened my um, commitment to bringing those cultures to Iowa to, to showcasing them and um, appreciate Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, um, Professor uh, Brian Lai, you nominated Amna for this award, and uh, and you know you were full of praise for her, and I think we can all all see why. But um, tell us about your uh, relationship with Amna and what you've seen in her and learned about her while she's been studying in political science. Sure. So I, I met Amna uh, her first semester. So she took a first year seminar uh, on, some, on doing some research. Uh, she excelled with her group. And so uh, it was from there I just kind of got to know her throughout the years. She and I have worked on a couple of different kind of research projects together. She's also sort of the resident assistant for our living learning community. Mm -hmm. uh, and so every time I talk to Amna, I'm always finding out kind of new <laughs> things that she has been started or founded or doing that promotes internationalization on campus. So it's always a it's always exciting to see what new things that she, she's been doing in addition to excelling in all her classes as well. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Omna, what's, what's next for you? Uh, what are you planning after you graduate? So after I graduate, I hope to find a job uh, that uh, is embedded in or whose mission is to promote uh, policy changes in the United States around the world. I hope to go to another city like Washington, D.C. Um, or New York, a more um, internationally focused or uh, city um, and bring what I've learned from the University of Iowa to a think tank or another internationally focused organization mm -hmm. um, and use my skills there, uh, gain a little bit more professional experience uh, and then hopefully apply for law school uh, in two years. But I'm also very flexible, and I'm willing to do anything that will help me learn uh, what I can do to help yeah. uh, and contribute to the international field. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, just before we leave this this topic and um, political science, sort of international politi political um, issues arena, um, you deal with this, of course, every day, Brian, in your classes and in your research. Um, lots of uh, conflicting ideas, points of view. Um, I'm sure some dicey discussions from time to time. What is it in, in Amna that allows her to be such a, um, not only a good student, but someone who can, you know, help bring ideas to the to the front of a discussion, which can be hard to discuss. I think, you know, perfect example. Of this is the kind of student organization piece by piece that, that she helped found, which is, I think, the ability to try and uh, have people understand different sides of an issue uh, and to sort of think about how to do that. And so uh, I think Amna's done a good job of that in her studies as well as in all these activities, whether uh, it's walk out or whether it's piece by piece to try and sort of promote, uh, have, engage, have people engage in the understanding of each other's cultures, uh, each other's issues to better resolve those uh, disputes that they might have with each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, uh, Amna, congratulations once again. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we uh, turn our attention to Hadley? Yeah, I just wanted to say um, to any of the students out there who think perhaps, you know, being mm -hmm. in um, Iowa, which is obviously, you know, landlocked, uh, the idea that, oh, perhaps there are no international opportunities for me. 
Um, I would encourage you to think again, just because we, I, since in my four years, I've seen a proliferation of international uh, opportunities to engage with the world and different cultures on campus, whether it be through the Iowa City Foreign Relations Council or through the University of Iowa Center for Human Rights. There's plenty of programming out there where you can sit and actually hear from people calling in from remote places like Iraq, perhaps maybe one day we have someone from there or um, from other countries um, that are able to give you, uh, to share their insights and share um, lectures, talks about international issues that you care about. So I okay. highly recommend, I think there's a program tomorrow for Iowa City Foreign Relations Council if you'd like to start there. So mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you, and congratulations. Uh, and uh, so, Hadley, <laughs> congratulations to you as well. You won the Graduate Global Student Award, and uh, congratulations for that, and, and thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, so, I understand you're working on your PhD in French and Francophone World Studies. Uh, help us understand what that encompasses. Sure. Um, well, um, Francophone world studies um, means the places in the world that speak French um, that are outside of metropolitan France. Um, many of them are still a part of the French nation. They're um, places that were colonized by France for the most part. Um, many of them are now overseas territories or um, other types of um, parts of uh, France. Um, so I study uh, literature, film, and performance from um, the Francophone Caribbean, um, Sub-Saharan Africa, and the Indian Ocean. Um, and I also have one piece of my dissertation that's also from Jamaica. I'm an Anglophone um, country in the Caribbean. Um, and I look at um, how authors and artists in those places remember um, the period of slavery um, and I'm thinking about ways that influences how people think of themselves today, um, think about their identity and um, their position um, in their home and then in the world. Um, and a lot of that is impacted by um, what we know from history and from the history of slavery. There's a lot that remains unknown from the perspective of those who were enslaved. So I'm working mm -hmm. with a um, that's been performed by um, a choreographer from Guadeloupe. Um, she's also a dancer and a scholar. Um, and the idea comes from a, a traditional dance in Guadeloupe. Um, and the philosophy is about a way of moving that's um, constantly adapting to shifts and disruptions in spaces or equilibrium. Um, and it, the idea is to inhabit sort of a constant disequilibrium. So I've taken that concept um, and sort of formulated a framework for looking at writing and film and the ways that that movement um, practice can be seen or read into uh, the ways these artists remember slavery um, and thinking about how that can inform about the past um, by sort of recreating a way of moving um, that has been passed down um, over centuries, and then also how that expresses an inheritance of strength and resistance. Um, mm -hmm. 
Well, we'll talk with uh, Ani Curtius in, in just a moment, uh, who is uh, directing your some of your PhD work and working with you and looking at your research. Um, but before that, uh, you've spent a lot of time living in France, and um, I think numerous occasions. And President Wilson mentioned some of those earlier. Um, you know, how has the fact that you have been on the ground in France and other French-speaking places, uh, you have seen and felt the culture in that sort of very tangible way. How does that enrich your teaching and your research? It really keeps my teaching um, because I've been a learner of French in, um, in France while in France. Um, and that has really um, given me a lot of experience with just seeing that it's possible to, to cross that language barrier and to um, make inroads and express yourself and build relationships um, in a second um, second or a third language. Um, and I think I really try to create that experience in my classroom for students. Um, I also, I think um, it makes me really aware that I want to make the language classroom a place um, for learning about culture in addition to learning vocabulary and grammar, um, syntax. Mm -hmm. so, um, I try to bring a lot of that into my classroom, um, bringing in examples from um, film or music videos, things like that, and um, create a structure where students can interact with those things in French um, mm -hmm. to not only, well, to sort of integrate the exposure to um, yeah, with the language um, learning. So what does it feel like when, when you're teaching and, and you see that one student or two students, a, a certain number of people, sort of really do um, sort of catch fire, either about the language learning itself or about a culture that they're really just learning to know about and learning to love? Oh, that's the best part about teaching is um, seeing those students who really find their way into it. Um, and I think that is such a great thing as a teacher. And in a lot, in a lot of ways, I think it's not it's them that um, that find that inroad. And I, I'm so happy to provide it and sort of help them along. And um, it's amazing to see what students can do and um, how they can tell stories and construct a narrative, even at you know the intermediate French level, for example. Um, so it really motivates me. Um, and that's what I think about when I play my lessons. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. And I understand that you've also gotten a little bit involved in um, translation uh, workshops, and you said that that sort of transformed the way that you yourself think about language. Yes, yeah, it did. Um, yeah, I had a really wonderful opportunity to take a translation workshop in the literary translation program mm -hmm. uh, at Iowa, which is a pretty special program. Um, and it Firstly, gave me great respect for translators because it was very challenging. Um, it really changed the way that I thought about, as, I, as you said, language. Um, because translating, um, I started off doing a very literal translation word for word. Um, and then in the workshop, my wonderful peers told me, well, this is not very interesting to read at all <laughs> in English. Um, doesn't translate very naturally if you go word for word. And so um, it really gave me an awareness about how much, uh, to what extent translators are artists themselves and the partnership that often um, takes, takes hold between um, an author and then um, their translator. Mm -hmm. and, 
that gives so much meaning to learning a second language and also being able to work across languages, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, Ani uh, Curtius, I wonder if I could just bring you in here to tell us about Hadley, how you got involved in working with Hadley and, and what, what you see in her. Uh, yes, um, work, you know, John, working with, um, with Adley has really been, from the very beginning, a, a rewarding experience. Um, it has been a rewarding experience because um, I noticed how Adley was passionate about everything she was doing. And here I'm going to mention three um, three three areas uh, where I can really see her shining and not really being, you know, uh, lukewarm about what she does, but really involved. So first of all, it's um, her ability to foster collaboration and coalition building, you know, um, and be always ready to team up with her peers, with her professors and her numerous leadership activities in, in, in the department and at the university. And as President Wilson mentioned her work uh, at, um, uh, as the president and the vice president of the Wilgo organization is uh, clearly an evidence you know, of how engaged she is with graduate students and the community. So that's one thing. The second thing is um, the when when I started to work with her and when we 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 quickly realized you know how you know involved we were going to be the two others in in, in the in the progression of her of her dissertation work, I I, I quickly realized how um, she exhibits a a, a full critical knowledge of the literary and cultural and artistic expressions of the Indian Ocean and the Caribbean, which are the two areas that your dissertation focuses uh, on, and, and also, and also uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. So, so she has this, this, this solid mastery of those fundamental critical paradigms that she needs to work with. Mm -hmm. um, so in addition to that, she can uh, really um, connect literary periods, um, uh, uh, artistic expressions, and really see what she can get out of the intertwining of those different, um, those different elements and bring something new. And the third uh, area where I'm really proud of Adley is the ways in which she's using, as she just said, um, a Guadeloupian philosophy of being, of existing, and um, getting the substance of this philosophy and displaying it into the critical framework of her dissertation. And this, um, this philosophy is called Bigidi, and it's a matter of uh, expressing how resilient people can be when tough things, tough history, trauma happen in their lives. And so she has recuperated this philosophy and she has inserted it, included it into the theoretical framework of the dissertation. So, um, so she, she basically 
builds a counter argument, a counter narrative to, um, um, to let's say, you know, assumptions that a simple philosophy that no one knows about cannot really be good enough to constitute a theoretical framework. So that's something that is really, uh, I think, that is important because she posits that dignity is a philosophy of adaptation for the descendants of enslaved po population, but it is also a critical tool for us, cultural critics, that we can use as well to, um, you know, to to irrigate our, um, our 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 work. So she, um, what she does to me is um, is really groundbreaking, and this is a kind of um, work, the kind of attitude that we really want to see in students' work. And I am very proud of the ways in which she, day after day, you know, chapter after chapter, words after words, you know, she carefully thinks about. Um, how she can do that and how she can really bring this philosophy into something fruitful for uh, critical thinking in the interdisciplinary field of Francophone studies. Wow. Well, that must feel pretty good, Hadley, huh? To hear your your uh, professor and your friend, your advisor, um, speak so glowingly of the work you're involved in. You framed it perfectly, Joan. She is my advisor and my friend and my, my colleague, and I'm so, so grateful and uh, lucky for that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you grew up in uh, Kansas City, if I if I understand correctly. How did you get drawn to this particular area of study? Um, I actually grew up in uh, Topeka. Oh, excuse me. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I actually, um, I just I started taking French in high school, and I continued to take it during my undergraduate um, degree, which I did at the University of Kansas. Um, and there I got pretty involved in my extracurriculars um, with social justice, especially thinking about fair trade. Um, and I got pretty excited about how um, studying French could, could kind of give me access to um, thinking about those issues um, in various places abroad. Um, and then I, I took a long hiatus um, doing some other things, and then I came to grad school um, with the plan to um, focus on the Francophone, um, part of Francophone, French and Francophone world studies. Mm -hmm. And it was actually kind of funny, I, when I was in France, um, as a part of this exchange with the department here, um, I went to a festival that was being put on in my town. Um, by an organization that worked with a lot of um, immigrant groups, and they showed a documentary about this choreographer from Guadeloupe. <laughs> and then the next year when I came back, that uh, documentary was on the syllabus for Annie's class, <laughs> and the choreographer was invited to do a Skype session with us during a class. So what will be next for you after you complete your PhD? Um, well, I'm in the midst of applying for a lot of jobs, so I'm really hopeful that um, I'll be pursuing a tenure track um, position at a university, um, continuing to teach um, Francophone studies, um, and looking at these these kinds of issues um, with my my colleagues. And um, I'm so excited to. <laughs> <laughs> 
to look at all the things that have come up during my dissertation that I've had to say, well, soon, soon I'll read that. <laughs> well, it's a real pleasure for us to meet you and want to congratulate you once again for the Global Student Award. Obviously, very well deserved for both you and for Amna. And, uh, and thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Brian Lai and Ani Kurtias for joining us today. And um, as we say goodbye here, uh, I just want to thank everybody who's been part of the program today and invite you to enjoy more special programming in um, our special celebratory week, International Education Week. You can find a list of events at international.uiowa.edu. And please join us for future World Canvas programming. The next program will be on February 1st, and the topic is The Global Implications of Me Too. Uh, I'm Joan Kerr for International Programs here at the University of Iowa. Thank you for joining us, and have a good day.